My name is Dave Wilcock, also an elder here at the church, and uh, we're continuing our sermon series this morning uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. We're almost done. Matt Adair will be wrapping up next week. We will have gone through the entire Sermon on the Mount, which I have really loved doing such, such a vitally important piece of scripture uh, for us as believers. And this morning, I'm going to be finishing two-part series that I started two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at where Jesus instructs us so explicitly not to judge. Where he says, uh, do not judge or you too will be judged and the measure you use will be used against you. How is it you can't see the plank sticking out of your own eye but you're concerned about the speck in your brother's eye? You hypocrite, remove the plank from your own eye first so you can help your brother get the speck out of his eye. And so we looked at that and we looked, about, uh, looked at that because it Something about it that's really confusing, and the reason we're doing a two-part series is because Jesus so explicitly, Jesus, and we looked at Paul and James and throughout the New Testament, how this is the second most mentioned sin, judgmentalism, is so mentioned in the New Testament, and yet, like in John 7, which we're titling the, the sermon after this morning, John, Jesus instructs us to make righteous judgments. So which is it, right? Because we're commanded not to judge. But then we're commanded to make righteous judgments. So two weeks ago, uh, we looked at the one end of the spectrum, not judging. This morning, we're looking at how to judge. And the main problem is that in Greek, we have the same problem as we have in English with the word judge, in that it can mean a whole spectrum of different things. On the one end, it could be talking about just discerning between a couple of different things, a good idea or a bad idea. Thanks, Ken, for ducking under the... Well done. <laughs> it could be discerning between good things or bad things. Or on the other end, what we're forbidden from doing is to condemn others, to slander others. It's all of this judgmentalism and self-righteousness that is so prevalent in our day and where we're just labeling and dismissing people in this whole call-out culture that we're a part of, all this judgmentalism that we've become so complicit in that we are commanded not to do. And so um, we looked at this two weeks ago, and we looked at the problem being if we do this, the reason it's such a big deal is that you are becoming complicit in the primary satanic strategy for the destruction of humanity. We looked at it in Genesis and in Job. This is Satan's strategy, that if he can get us to question God's judgment and his worthiness as judge and to take that knowledge of good and evil upon ourselves to make ourselves the judge, then we will also then turn and we start judging and, and labeling one another and accusing one another. We see this with Adam and Eve and then with Job and all his friends. And so Satan wants us to question God and then begin to accuse one another and he causes all this chaos... And the main reason he wants to do that is because then he can distract us from doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing that Jesus lays out so clearly in Matthew 22, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments, all of the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. If we don't get those right, we don't get anything right. And so if Satan can distract us from doing those things, he accomplishes his plan. And as we enter into this taking on judgment and judgmentalism upon ourselves, it creates this 
rift between us and God because we're taking on his job from him. We don't trust him as judge. We're taking it upon ourselves. And then we're creating this rift between us and our fellow man because the minute you begin to judge them, the beginning you begin to accuse them and label them and slander them and all this name calling that goes on, we're now stemming the flow of love and grace and mercy that we've so freely received, but now we refuse to give to others. We decide who's going to receive God's mercy and forgiveness and kindness. And then thirdly, it won't go unnoticed, Jesus says. The measure you use will be used against you. If you want to take judgment upon yourself, you too will be judged. And Paul talks about how at the end of the age, all of the motivations of our hearts and our works will be exposed by fire. And what remains will be rewarded. And we don't want to have all of our works burned up because we're so consumed with judgmentalism and accusation of one another. So that's kind of the brief synopsis of what we talked about two weeks ago that I just wanted to refresh your memory on. You can go back and listen to that online if you'd like more detail. But looking at do not judge leaves us with some few, a few questions, right? When we're done with that message, how do we then practice if Jesus commands us to make righteous judgments how do we practice it? So we're going to read together here in Matthew 7, starting in verse 15, an example where Jesus tells us to judge. And I'm warning you, fair warning, I'm doing a bit of a, a political move today. You know, when you watch politicians get interviewed, they have this amazing ability. If you ask them a question where they don't really answer the question, they kind of do, but then they pivot to talk about what they really want to talk about, you know? <laughs> so I'm kind of using the scripture uh, in that way today where we will be talking about it, but we're uh, using it as an example to talk about, we really want to talk about this righteous judgment that Jesus commands that we do. So let's read Matthew seven fifteen through 23. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorns or figs from thistles, are they? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree is not able to bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree to bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will recognize them by their fruit. Jesus wants us to make this discernment or this judgment of recognizing by fruit. And then he goes on to say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many powerful deeds? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. So Jesus gives us this example of where we were supposed to discern or judge immediately after he's told us not to judge. And so what's the difference between this judgmentalism and making righteous judgment or discernment. And it's interesting, in this passage, you kind of have both working rightly, right? Where Jesus is telling us to discern, to differentiate, but it's not us who's condemning, is it? It's Jesus in this passage is the one who has the right to condemn, to judge. He's the one who says, away from me, you lawbreakers, not us. So we see things in the right order there, but Jesus also asks us to discern in this passage as well. And the primary difference, in my opinion, the primary difference between this judgmentalism and righteous judgment is that 
judgmentalism or judging is about the self. It's all about you and your self-righteousness. The hypocrisy that Jesus and Paul and James point out. It's about making ourselves feel better. Unwilling to look at the, the plank in our own eye and deal with our own trauma and our sin and all the things that we have going on in our lives, but putting others down and accusing others, if only for a moment, to make ourselves feel better. For a moment to say, I'm better than somebody else. <laughs> or at least, maybe, you've, maybe I do have sin in my life, but it's not as bad as the sin in your life. So judgmentalism and judging all about the self and self-righteousness, but discernment is about others and the love for others. And it's about the benefit of others and primarily about protecting others, about boundaries and protecting others. And it's about restoration, seeing people restored, as we're going to see. So how do we practice this discernment? How do we practice this righteous judgment in handling sin as Jesus has instructed us to do. And I want to give you a few of what I think are the, are the main things that we need to get right if we're going to practice this righteous judgment or discernment correctly. First thing is, we have to remember, a bit of similar to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we have to remember our place. We have to remember who God is and who we are. We have to remember that He's the judge. We have to remember that He's the one who sets the boundaries. And He's the one that does the work. We must maintain humility and recognize our place. Humility in recognizing our own sin and dealing with that plank in our own eye, but recognizing that He is the one that does the work. In James 4, 11-12, it says, Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. He who speaks against a fellow believer or judges a fellow believer speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but it's a judge. But there is only one who is lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. On the other hand, who are you to judge your neighbor? And then in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, For I'm sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one that conforms us into the likeness of Christ. He is the one that brings forth this fruit that we're supposed to see and discern of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And our role is the encouragers. Our role is the supporters of that work of edifying one another and building one another up in the faith. But we get so stressed out <laughs> trying to fix everybody else, don't we? We take it upon ourselves to make other people's our, our project, and we're going to fix them. And this is when people begin to feel manipulated and controlled and judged because they feel like they're being conformed into your likeness and your opinion and your boundaries, not God's. And we have to remember that God is the one who sets the boundaries, and He's the one who does the work and embrace the humility of our role in the process of seeing the fruit develop in other people's lives. So we have to maintain God in His rightful place. And then secondly, we only practice our discernment within the church. This is a difficult one for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. 
In no way did I mean the immoral people of this world, or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. Since then, you'd have to go out of the world. But I'm now writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a Christian who is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or verbally abusive, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those outside? Are you not the judge of those inside? But God is the judge. God will judge those outside. But remove the evil person from among you. We have to remember, God is the one who judges those outside of the faith. And one of our biggest problems is we're trying to hoist the law onto people who don't even believe, who do not even have the Holy Spirit within them to be able to fill it. And it turns into this legalism and judgmentalism. God is the one who will judge those outside the church. Our judge, judgment, I want to say judgmentalism. We're never called a judgmentalism. But our judging and our discernment is for those strictly inside the faith. And number three, we are motivated by love, not vengeance. We're motivated by love, not vengeance. In Romans 12, Paul says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We don't take vengeance on ourselves. That's His job. Corinthians 5, Paul says in talking about putting people out of the church, he says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's a desire to see them restored and saved. Not vengeance and judgment. To discern carries no desire to see someone get what's coming to them. It doesn't condemn, but sees things as they really are with the mind of Christ. And love doesn't condemn. What we're instructed to do is, is not to condemn, to not to avenge ourselves, but what we're instructed to do in the New Testament is to set boundaries, which isn't a scriptural word, but it's what they're describing, and it's kind of a popular word nowadays, setting boundaries. But this is what we see when Paul talks about not associating with somebody or putting somebody out of the church. It's about this protection of setting boundaries motivated by love for the restoration of others and the protection of others. So judgmentalism says, you're bad, you're evil, get away from me. But discernment says, I love you, and I choose to set boundaries to limit the damage you're doing to yourself and to others, and to see you restored into your rightful place in the family of God. Judgment closes us off. It closes us off to other people. But discernment allows us to stay open to others, but protect it by setting up these healthy boundaries. But so often when we discuss this subject about judgmentalism, you know, and if you, if you read any of the online discussions about it, you know, one of the things you'll commonly say is, but brother, I'm just speaking the truth in love, brother. I'm just speaking the truth in love. And I would encourage them to go and read that passage <laughs> that they're referencing where Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, therefore... He says, he says, speak the truth in love, and then he says, therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, slanderous talk, Indeed, all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So if you're going to speak the truth in love, I would suggest you put it through the filter of that passage. Is your speech, is the post that you're putting up online, is it marked by compassion, forgiveness, Kindness, giving grace to others? Or is it just quarreling and anger and bitterness and vengeance? We need to put it through that filter. We're not motivated by vengeance. We're motivated by love in our discernment and judging. And the next, true discernment requires maturity. True discernment requires maturity. In Galatians 6, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourself so you are not tempted to. Notice, dealing with and discerning sin, it requires gentleness. It requires, in the previous chapter, Paul's been talking about the life and the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, and he's saying that needs to be developed in your life if you're going to do this well, if you're going to handle the sin of others. John Stott, in his book, The Only uh, Only One Way, says, one of the reasons why only spiritual Christians should attempt the ministry of restoration is that only the spiritual are gentle. It requires this Maturity, to deal with this. And we have to have humility to recognize sometimes our own immaturity and our own inexperience or our own inability to do it in love and to ask for help from those who are mature. Because one of the dangers is if you've ever had to deal with people's sin sometimes and there can be, it can be chaotic and a lot of of anger and misunderstanding and and all these things. And it's so easy when you have to deal with these things to become jaded yourself, to become angry, to become bitter. And so it requires maturity to deal with these things. And we need to recognize that. And then lastly, if we're going to do this well, it requires relationship. It has to have intimate relationship. Outward appearance or relationships from a distance so easily lead to judgmentalism, which is difficult for us because so many of our relationships now are virtual or online or at a distance, and we struggle because we meet in, in large groups here in the 21st century, and dealing with some of these issues are outside of the context of intimate relationship. And Jesus says in John 7, 24 that I mentioned earlier, he says, Do not judge according to external appearance, but judge with proper judgment. And we have to remember that these things that Jesus is saying, that Paul and James are telling us about how to judge and how to discern sin, 
They're giving it to people in a first century context. I'd mentioned in the sermon a couple of months ago about life in the first century where people are born and live and work and die they, within 20 miles of the place that they're born. Small towns, small groups of people. And they're gathering in, in small groups and churches and meeting every week for, for fellowship and meals together. There's intimacy of relationship that's developed over years. And that's assumed in these instructions that we're given. And yet so often we try to generally apply biblical principles within the 21st century context, and that's where we end up speaking the truth in love to people all over the world who we do not know, and we do not know anything about them or the circumstances about their lives, and yet we feel free to let them know what they ought to do and how they ought to do it, because it's outside of intimate relationship, and we cannot discern and judge well outside of intimate relationship, and we often get both sides of this There's two sides to it. We often get it wrong. Oftentimes, the people that we put into leadership or the people that we make famous, we have no intimate knowledge of. They've got gifting, which does not equal maturity. (laughs) They may be charismatic. They may be great preachers. They may be great organizational leaders. But the thing that Jesus is calling us to do in the the passage that we read this morning, to discern the fruit of somebody's life, that's not about gifting. You have to know that person, and it takes time to do that. It takes time. The good good thing is is that you you can fake some things well, but you can't fake good character in intimate relationship for long. It will be known, but it requires intimate relationship. Fruit is not a great sermon or miracles. We need to intimately know people and to know the fruit of their lives, and it requires relationship if we are going to judge the way or discern in the way that Jesus has asked us to discern. So we have to keep God in his rightful place as the one who judges, as the one who sets the boundaries, as the one who does the work. We have to exercise our discernment within the church and not outside of the church. We're motivated by love. We're not motivated by vengeance and anger. And we need to have maturity to discern well and to judge well. And we need to have intimate relationship if we are going to judge and discern well. And these things are a real struggle Many of these things are a real struggle for us, judgmentalism and the poor practice of discernment. But the question that as we wrap up this kind of two-part series within the, the Sermon on the Mount is, are we going to do God's will in this area? Judgmentalism fuels the fabric of our culture in media and relationships and all these things. And are we going to stand apart, as we read in our passage this morning, It's those that do the will of the Father are the ones who inherit the kingdom. And we want to be those who do His will. We want to be the ones who give Him His rightful place as the judge and not take it upon ourselves. We want to love Him well and love others well. And are we looking at ourselves this morning just as we reflect on these messages, looking at our own lives and discerning our own lives, are we growing 
in these fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, self-control. Are these the things that mark our lives, or are the things that mark our lives judgment and accusation, and all the things that go along with us? It's critical that we examine ourselves and see that we're, we're growing and we have a desire for these things and that we're willing to recognize God's way in these things. I think it is so critical, as I mentioned two weeks ago, if we're going to see a new move of the Holy Spirit, I mean, judgmentalism is the number one reason people have want nothing to do with us. And are we humble enough to look at ourselves? Yes, they're all judgmental too. <laughs> But we're the ones that are called to be different. We're the ones that are supposed to live a different way and offer something different, but we're not. And so are we willing to look at ourselves and look at our own lives and our communications and our relationships in this area of judgment and judgmentalism? Because I think we're going to have to do it differently if we're going to see God move in a new way. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and as we uh, close this morning, I'm just going to pray, and as we worship this morning, just take time to reflect on these things, to search our own hearts, just to ask once again, am I usurping God's rule as judge and refusing to give up this desire to judge and to take vengeance out on others and anger and vent my wrath? To have my way? <laughs> or am I willing to do things the way God wants them done that we've described this morning? Did this, do I see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Is it growing? Do I even have a desire to it? Or am I so consumed with my judgment and my, my sarcasm and my accusation and my being right that I can't grow the way the Spirit wants me to grow? Let's just reflect on those things and let's just pray together. Father, we offer ourselves to you again this morning. We want to be those who do your will. Lord, we want to do your will. We want to do things your way, Lord. We say that you, God, you are omniscient. You are the one who knows everything. You are the only one who can judge rightly. And this morning, we just ask that you would allow us to embrace humility, that you would do that work in our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would become encouragers of one another, that we would build others up in the faith, Lord, that we would be those who can gently restore others who've been caught into sin, Lord. Make us those kinds of people. Mature us. Grow us up, Lord. Lord, help us to let go of all these childish desires of judgment and rage and anger, Lord and accusation, and just wanting to be right all the time and have what's ours, Lord. I pray that you would mature us, Lord, in the faith. Mature us in your spirit, God. Make us like you. Conform us into your image. You, Jesus, who came not to judge, but to save. We want to be like you. Lord, I pray that you just renew that work in our hearts, that we would recommit ourselves this morning to the working of your Spirit in our lives in this area. Lord, I pray that this fruit that we're supposed to see in our lives that differentiates the wolves from the sheep, Lord, I pray that that fruit would be evident and growing in our lives, Lord. We desire it, Lord. We want your way. We want your will in our lives. And we just ask that you would do it. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.